So today uh, we look into the power that is uh, wielded by both God and by his enemies. Not today, but this whole week. And this begs the question of which uh, many great writers have written about and also written stories about. The one that came to mind to me this morning was The Lord of the Rings where J.R.R. Tolkien uh, weaved together this masterpiece of, of really a battle between good and evil, and he centered his power in this ring. Uh, and so the ring is called the ring of power, and whoever has it has the power in the story. And, of course, this represents the power that's available in the universe, and, or really amongst mankind, I guess, on earth. And it begs the question of who should have power. And there's a force that has been at work that has uh, opposed God since the beginning who wants the power. They want the power to rule the earth and to rule you. Uh, to rule, the only way you rule earth is if you rule mankind. So the power of those who oppose God, really Satan, and to come. this is They're going to be allowed by God to wield this power worldwide in the last seven years of this age. It's called the tribulation. And, uh, and so it, for us, this is going to become an issue because we're not going to go through the tribulation. All evidence points to a all strongly points to a pre-tribulational rapture, so the church won't go through it. Uh, but still, the battle for power goes on in your own soul. And we have to ask ourselves every day, to whom do we bow? Right? Who has the power? Do we have it of our, of our own selves, of our self-will? Or do we give it to God? And, of course, the scripture abounds with the fact that only God alone should have the power. So that's what we're going to look at today in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we're going to finally finish that paragraph in 2 Thessalonians 2. Well, we'll finish it this week. So let's open up in prayer and be thankful to God for this privilege of Again, hearing his word, every opportunity that you have to hear from the scripture, the truth of things, is a great privilege. And so we should concentrate and uh, be humble before God as we learn all that he has revealed to us. So with that, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the privilege of having the Word of God, which is alive and powerful. We thank you that through your Scripture that you have revealed yourself. You haven't revealed everything that we want to know, but you have revealed exactly what you would have us know. We know also that you control history, that evil will not happen unless you allow it. And at times you will allow it to greatly thrive, but you will, as you promised, destroy it. 
And through Christ our Lord, for each of us as your children, you have destroyed it in us. We're still sinners, and we could still, we're still capable of great sin. But you, Father, have redeemed us, forgiven us through the blood of Christ. And so through his cross, we have the power under your grace to live unto him and live with him, being resurrected with him. May we see, Father, what you have provided for us in this life. And we ask, Father, that through your Spirit, our hearts would be enlightened by your word this morning. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, One thing before we sing, um, we started a prayer list. And if if you have asked to be a prayer, uh, you will get that list. Um, What I wanted to state was, in case you're wondering, uh, we're not going to. So anybody who asks for prayer is going to be is going to be emailed out. No, sorry, texted out to those who are on that list. You know, those who have signed up to be those who want to pray. We're not going to keep a running list. So you're not going to get a list that's going to keep growing and growing and growing and growing. And the reason why we don't want that is because then you know it's just a list. We're going to leave it to you to keep your own list. But when people ask for prayer, it'll be sent out. Uh, and, and you'll have that. If you want updates on, you know, did they get better uh, or whatever, of course, we have to protect people's privacy. But uh, you can let us know. Just email the church. And if there's a reasonable update I can give, I'll give it. Uh, what I also want to recommend and actually state, <laughs> is that uh, that we don't respond to the group text. So if you get the text, don't respond with thanks, prayer hands, you know, th- uh, got it, you know, because everybody's going to get that over and over, right? <laughs> so don't respond to the group text, just take them in, pray, and um, and there you have it. All right, let's stand up and sing.
All right, Second Thessalonians chapter two. I think we have quite the week ahead of us. Uh, what is wrong with the world? The mystery of lawlessness. That is what Paul calls it. It's the only time uh, mystery is used. The word mystery is used, uh, I think, about 15 times in the New Testament, somewhere around there. Uh, but this is the only time in Second Thessalonians 2 where mystery is described as lawlessness or, or uh, modified by the word lawlessness. Uh, the mystery of lawlessness, Paul says, is working now uh, or now working. And that means uh, that it's at work. And so what is it doing? Um, in the passage also, it, it states that it's restrained or held back. Or held down is a more literal translation. So uh, the picture is, and that's why I surfaced this, surface titled this, that the beast is just under the surface. In prophecy, the beast is not only the ruler, Antichrist, it's also the kingdom. The fourth beast in Daniel is a kingdom. And it, this kingdom and its king are described as lawless, and not that the king is here, or he might be. It doesn't matter to us, by the way, who he is. It doesn't matter. What matters is the effect that this has upon us and how it challenges us and how we overcome it. Because since it's working now, though under the surface, right, meaning that it's, what I mean under the surface, it's restrained, and restrained means that it wants to come up. Think of it. I think of it like a crazed lunatic in a prison cell who could, who's almost out. Right? He's figured the lock mechanism, and he's almost out. And when he gets out, God help us all. Um, and when I say help us all, I don't mean the church, but the, the world. The book of Revelation has martyrs galore that are going to be murdered by this one. And, uh, you know, you've got to die somehow. And say, well, God's unfair here. Everybody dies. Whether you die as a martyr or you die as old age in your bed, you're going to go. But the thing about now, now, as this mystery of lawlessness works, it seeks, like all power does, control. It seeks control. It's, it's fascinating to me why people want this, why even angels would want this. I mean, do you really want control of your life? If you're a believer who's mature enough, you've given that up a while ago, haven't you? Because you realize that you stink at it. Do you really want control of your life? Say, no, I want God to control my life. He's way better at it. He's capable. He's able. But I'm not. But yet mankind, there was a time when you wanted control. And there is a time for, a, and there, there's, a, for a lot of people, it's a lifetime of seeking it, never to find it. There are aspects of your life where Christ alone should rule. Correct. Not what you had chose to have for breakfast. He doesn't bother with such minutia. 
Not uh, what car you buy or where you live or the square footage of your house or what mortgage is settled on or whatever. He's unconcerned with these things. What he's concerned about are important things. And generally, they are the things that rule you, your life, your soul. Your soul, your life, your heart. He must rule. This mystery of lawlessness wants to rule those parts of you. And it's deceiving. Right? People will say, if I choose certain foods, I'll, you know, I'll, be, uh, I'll be like free of this. In other words, Satan wants me to smoke that cigarette. That's all he wants me to do. Now, Satan may want you to smoke that cigarette, but what he wants to do is control your soul. If he can get you to give up cigarettes and make you proud about it, then he's, he's taken away the cold and given you cancer. The cigarettes will give you cancer eventually, but you know what I mean. If he, if he gets you to give up something, some food, say it's alcohol, say it's whatever, not that you know drunkenness is a sin, and we know this, but say he gets you to give up something, and that giving up makes you proud. Say you, you turn into someone who prays a lot. But because you pray, you're so proud of yourself, then you have, you have really grabbed onto what the kingdom of darkness wants you to have. That is why it is not, that's why this writhing, seething beast under the surface wants control of the soul. And he's very deceptive at it. And there's only one way that we can escape it. There's always something going wrong in this world, isn't there? Things seem to be going just fine. This happens in your own life, right? If, if you see, say things are going well for a while. Everything seems to be working out. Everything, all the pistons are firing in time. And everything seems to be easy and prosperous. Aren't you waiting Somewhere in the back of your mind, you're waiting for that other shoe to fall. It's coming. Something's going to go wrong. And it always does. Kingdom after kingdom, whether they started out good or not, have fallen into evil. Community after community, all throughout history, families. Families, and especially in the modern Western world, are broken. Most households are single parent now. Most children are not brought up by two biological parents. The family has been destroyed, not completely, but it's been damaged. People, individual people, failing when they don't need to be. And God has provided the solution to every single human problem. And yet people won't grab hold of it. There's always something wrong. Why is it that every circumstance seems to go wrong? Well, it's because this world is wrong and people are wrong. Christ came to make them right. Satan is trying to rule them in wrongness. In this, uh, what we're going to study this week, and we will complete 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12. We've kind of dabbled in it a little bit, but it's time to get serious about the, the text here. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12, we're going to see a wonderful and important truth concerning 
what age we are in. Are we in the tribulation? No. It's important to know what age you're in so that you can orient your life. What is expected of me? What can I expect? And to be knowing what the enemy is about is to have advantage. It gives you the high ground over the enemy. To know, as Paul will make clear here, that no matter what the enemy does, no matter what he deceives or or accomplishes, the Lord is going to destroy him. Paul makes that very clear. So the key ideas in this passage are, there's two slides on this. Uh, Don't be deceived. Rule one, don't be a dummy. How are you not going to be deceived? Scripture, the Word of God. It's those who do not have the Word of God richly dwelling in their hearts. I quote Colossians 3.16. Richly dwelling in their hearts are easily deceived. There's plenty of Christians who are saying, I love Jesus, and they're singing songs, and that's all fine. But there's plenty of Christians who do not know what is in God's Word. And if you don't know that, you're easily deceived. The word of Christ must richly, I'm using Paul's words here, richly dwell within us. So that's the first, don't be deceived. The attack against you is likely, now in certain cases it's rare, but it could be physical. But in the most case, by far, it is mental. The attacks against you, because again, When it comes to the tribulation, God is going to say, all right, you're free to do what you want to Satan and his man. And they're going to get mighty physical with the world. Like, in other words, you don't worship the beast. Halfway through the tribulation, you don't worship the beast, you're dead. Uh, And so you won't be able to buy or sell. So you're going to be poor or starve. Plenty of martyrs in the tribulation. A lot of believers in the tribulation, by the way, uh, both Jew and Gentile. But uh, the attack against you now is going to be mental or psychological. <clears throat> Thirdly, do not let the lawlessness that God has allowed, and he has allowed it. We can see this so easily because he restrains or holds back the what he wants what the uh, the mystery of lawlessness wants to do he holds it back so god is in control there's going to be a time where he's going to release it and so he's in control of all human history every creature everything that happens the sovereignty of god rules it and by his will he allows it and by his will he records in the scripture exactly what He wants to about what is happening. So there's some wonderful things going here. Here's the control of your God. He controls every single human being in all of human history, whether he allows them to do this or doesn't allow them to do that. And in his word, he writes exactly what he wants about that thing or about that person or about that circumstance. So there's nothing neglected. So when God doesn't tell us something about something, right, he's perfectly in control of that. So when this lawlessness happens, and it does, don't get stressed out. 
that, oh my God, they're getting away with it. Don't get stressed out. They are getting away with it. But in the end, they're not, are they? Is God out of control here? No, no. Jesus said this beautifully, simply and beautifully, like he always taught. Don't worry about tomorrow. God takes care of the lilies and the birds and the grass. He'll take care of you. Oh, you have little faith. You're more important than birds. I got this. When Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow, we've got Christians who are worried about the tribulation to come. What about he's going to come? That's, even if that does happen tomorrow, did Jesus say, don't be concerned about it? He said, seek first my kingdom. That's it. That's all you need to do. You'll be persecuted. I'm going to allow that. You're going to be tested. I'm allowing that. And it all has great purpose in it. To increase your endurance, to increase your faith, to increase your capacity to know me. I let the pressure come. Don't be worried, little children. Key ideas. Much worse is coming. Right? You could always say, yeah, it could be worse. It's not too shabby, right? It could be worse. It will be worse. A lot worse. And this is according to God's will and timing. That's very important to understand, that this is according to God's will and timing. Next, the Lord is going to destroy the lawless one. Paul starts describing the lawless one, and then he says, the Lord's going to destroy him, by the way, with the, word of his, with the breath of his mouth. Isn't that great? It's not like with his big battle axe but with his word of his mouth. In other words, the word of God is going to destroy. Uh, and then Paul goes back to the further description about the lawless one. So he starts describing the lawless one, says Jesus is going to destroy him, and then he goes back to describing the lawless one. You see, it literally, it's beautiful. It's like if you were reading it, say even for the first time, you'd be like, oh my God, this guy, this this one to come is... Holy cow, right? And then God, Paul says, oh, by the way, the Lord's going to destroy him. Now let's get back to our narrative. It's almost like a little commercial, you know. And lastly, to escape the influence of the lawlessness, the escape from it, rather, is faith in the gospel, your love for Christ, and your love for the truth. And you'll escape it. It doesn't mean it's not going to tempt you and put you through trial and persecution and all of that, and, but you'll escape. What is the escape? Well, look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 2.1. Paul gets to the escape right away. Now, we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure. By the way, the word composure translated there is the Greek word nous. It's mind. Shaken from your mind, which is a Greek way of saying losing your stuff. Right? You just lost it. You despaired. You freaked out. You were shaken from your mind. Right? You picture your mind and your head just being battled around like, a, like it's in a car accident or something. 
not be quickly shaken from your composure or your mind or to be disturbed. Now, right there, there is where the um, under the surface mystery of lawlessness, that's what they're after. Your mind. Think of composure as your mind. They're trying what they can only do because they can't come up and rule the earth. Not yet. So while they're restrained and held down, they're still working. And the way that they're working, Paul said, don't be deceived, right? Don't be disturbed. Well, that's coming up. Let no one deceive. deceive. Look at verse 3. Let no one in any way deceive you. So while this entity, this evil entity is working, it's trying to deceive our minds, deceive our hearts, with the end goal that our hearts are shaken and disturbed. And this equates to worry, anxiety, fear, no peace. And we say, well, but you understand what I'm going through, right? Yeah, my God's powerful enough to overcome that. You understand what I'm facing, right? Yeah, and I'm not facing that. I get it. I may be able to understand what you're going through. Maybe I don't. But what I do know is that my God is more powerful than what you're going through. Yes, he can help you to overcome. And he can. And that's going to be the point. Do not be deceived or disturbed. Sorry, quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed, either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. And quickly, and we'll look at bits of this uh, throughout the week but to get the full thing but here. But notice how the deception comes by word, by letter, by spirit. There's a spirit moving, you know, it's the, the buzz, what's buzzing, you know, the grapevine, what is, what's going on, How, what is the spirit of the world, and by word, be media, and by letter, which would also refer to media, in our age, is media. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. He displays himself as God. That's the, the Greek says it plainly here. He says he is God. Do you not remember? So, now, so Paul kind of pauses there at verse 5. He says, you remember I taught you this, right? Verse 5, do you remember that while I was with you, I was telling you these things, and you know what restrains him now. So in verse 6, uh, it says, you know what, he res- what restrains him now. The, the order of the Greek here has now at the front of the sentence, and I think it should stay there. Uh, it's not a huge deal, but it's, it's, uh, it should say in verse 6, and now you know what restrains him, so that in his time he will be revealed. So there's going to be a time, a proper time to come where this one that Paul has described as lawlessness, man of lawlessness, son of destruction or son of perdition. He opposes and exalts himself above all things, says he's God, 
and takes his seat in the temple. And we learn in the book of Revelation and in Daniel that he's going to, and in the Gospels, that he's going to put an image of himself in the Holy of Holies in the temple. And that image, he's going to require that people worship it. All of that, leave that aside, because who he is and what he does and when is important, but it's not as important as its effect of this current working of his system can have on our souls now. Whether we get our eschatology right or not, and I know plenty of people who have you know, dedicated a lot of time to eschatology. And yet at the same time, I say a lot, I should say just a few, <laughs> who, have, who have missed the spiritual life. In other words, they're so concerned about what is to come that they're not pouring near enough energy into the things that make them proud. I've known some people who their knowledge of eschatology have made them proud. And they know more than you. And they know more than me. I'm sure they do. Because I don't spend... A, I'm, I spend my time in the whole Bible. You know, so I'm not going to spend a hundred hours... Well, lately I have been, but it's been eye-opening. But, you know, when I get to it, I get to it. Um, but they, they're going to know more than you. And they use this to say, well, look, I'm, I'm so smart. And, see, you've fallen for it. You've fallen for it. You allowed knowledge of Scripture to make you proud. Satan would love to make you a Bible scholar if you're going to accept pride. Heck, he'll pay for your education. Don't be... Pride is one of the foundational factors of this kingdom. He says, I'm God, the man of lawlessness. And then verse 7. And, and verse 7 is what we're going to really focus on this week. I mean, we could focus on a lot of things, but what I'm mostly concerned about for us is the application of this to our lives. Verse 7 says, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. It's translated just well there. The mystery of lawlessness is working. <clears throat> and only he who now restrains, I'll show you this word, it means to hold back, will do so until he is taken out of the way. Now, what's taking, who's taken out of the way? Well, it's this restraint. Now, the, word, the, the participle restraint is in the neuter. <laughs> so when you say he, we're like, oh, if it was just like masculine, we could say, well, there it is, it's the Holy Spirit. And there's a ton of debate about this, like what is or who is the restrainer and uh, what is God using to restrain this lawlessness. And uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to give you a, uh, like a broad spectrum on this. And if, if you want to particularly pick one thing and say that's the restrainer, fine. I don't think it, I don't think it matters. You know why I know it doesn't matter? Because Paul didn't tell us. Paul is the only one who says it. If you want to look for another passage that talks about the restrainer in this context, you're not going to find it. This is Paul's. And he could have told us easily. He chooses not to. 
Then that lawless one will be revealed whom the law, the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. So you see that? Here's the lawless one. He does all of these things. And yet, pause here, Paul says, the Lord's going to kill him. Destroy him. That's the word he uses, destroy. So there's the rest of it there. And uh, we're going to get through to verse 12. But for the sake of time, let's uh, focus on this part that we have for today, which is mystery. The mystery of lawlessness. So look at the word mystery. The word mystery means the concealed but now disclosed purpose of God. And it's got several aspects to it. This is God's word, by the way, of the, uh, I don't know, like what I said, 15 times or so that it's used in the scripture. Only once is it used, and here is it used, of Satan's doing. And so we assume that this mystery of lawlessness is Satan's counterfeit, because he's always counterfeiting, to uh, God's mystery. And actually, when we look at them side by side, this, the kingdom and, and the, the lawlessness that the kingdom of darkness wants and, you know, what God's mystery is about, we see actually, yeah, that it is a counterfeit. But to just look at the mystery first, really briefly, the mystery of God. There's a mystery that is no longer a mystery to those who know the scripture. It was a mystery. Like, no one knew it. But now it is revealed. The mystery of God is the full revelation of Christ. As the writer of Hebrews says, they had a shadow understanding of him. It was just a shadow. But not anymore. If you want to know Christ, you can. You've got the Gospels. You've got the New Testament epistles, which, by the way, will unlock all the Old Testament prophecy concerning him. And then the whole Bible For your whole life, you will discover more and more about who is this amazing God-man. His work, his blessings that have come to the church, that is a mystery. The fact that, you know, what would happen when Israel rejected him? What would happen then? Dot, dot, dot. Well, that gets filled in for us. We're a part of that. That's a mystery. Jesus calls it the mystery of the kingdom of heaven. This time between the first advent and the second advent, what would happen here? That was a mystery. The tribulation was known, but the details of the tribulation come alive. The book of Revelation unlocks Daniel quite a bit. And then we get to see the tribulation in all its awfulness. Um, And so this is God's mystery. And the tribulation would be so horrible, right? So horrible. But then we read of this 144,000 Jewish witnesses and the multitude and multitude of Gentile from all the nations who believe their gospel and get martyred for it. And we see them in heaven in Revelation chapter 6, I believe, where we see them in heaven and they're all there around the throne. Martyred, yeah, but saved in the glory of heaven. Right? This we see. And we say, in all of it, the mystery, our Lord, is magnificent. Mystery disclosed of the purpose of God is the riches of Christ all the saints. This is really brief here now. There's more to it than this, but to give us just a, 
a sampling on our plates for this morning. Riches of Christ to all the saints. The marriage of Christ. You wouldn't think that the mystery of lawlessness would be attack against human marriage. Actually, marriage is a way, in, in, a, in a very important way, in which God has revealed his mystery to the world. Marriage, that's just people getting together and having babies or, you know, having fun or whatever. And it's according to God, it's far, far, far deeper. But as we'll see, even when marriage isn't done in a godly manner, God uses it to restrain. So the marriage to Christ, uh, that's a mystery. We're married to him. He's our husband. You could say that forever, right? You're the bride of Christ, and uh, this is manifested in human marriage. On uh, Ephesians 5, Colossians 1, Christ in you. Who would have thought this? The actual deity of the Son of God would indwell every saint in this age. Jew or Gentile, wouldn't matter. Every saint, he's in you. You think that makes you valuable? You think it makes you powerful? Or what? And this mystery is the key to real godliness. And the reason why this is important is because even evil people have this knack within them. It's the conscience that's in them that uh, Solomon speaks so, and to me, humorously in the book of Ecclesiastes that there's a desire for real goodness in people. They want to be. Right? Even the most awful criminals have this conscience. <laughs> you ever see on the news or know anybody who has given their lives over to crime or addiction? And they're just having a ball. You know, they're just happy people. It's working out great. I've said God is dead. I don't care about God. I don't. I don't. Or I don't care about God at all. I get high, I get drunk, I have sex, I do this, I do that, I'm proud, I am. I get to do anything I want. How's it working out for you? Oh, it's marvelous, it's paradise. Not a one. They all, we all, do, all who do that destroy themselves. Because there's, there's a, and in themselves, there's a conscience that says this is wrong. I mean, they live with that guilt. There's a condition about mankind at which, and we may talk about this this week, it's something that I'm intrigued by, that once you're headed down the wrong road, and all, you know, like, uh, what's his name from uh, the Twilight Zone? Rod Sterling, thank you. That signpost up ahead, right? It says you're in the Twilight Zone. As you're heading down the wrong road, here comes the signpost. Wrong way, dude. Here comes the signpost, turn around. Here comes the signpost, bridge out. Here comes the signpost, cliff ahead. And they, they keep coming up. But you say to yourself, well, I've already come so far to turn around now. i got to go all the way back to the beginning? Well, do you want to fall off the cliff? And they're like, I'll take my chances. This is a documented human characteristic. The, I've already gone down the road too far, I can't turn around now, ism. 
Uh, and amazing, amazing. There's a heart. And so God gives us the key to real godliness. And you know what this gives you? A conscience that is at peace. Do you know how valuable that is? A conscience that is at peace. With you. You don't have to be anybody else. You don't have to achieve anything else. You don't have to get this or lose that. Nope. My conscience is at peace. You know, there's not enough gold in the world to buy that. Look at Colossians 1.25. This is the, mystery, the real mystery. No longer a mystery. Of this church, Paul says, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit. That is Paul's spiritual gift to be a steward of the gospel to the Gentiles. Of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God that is the mystery which has been hidden from the ages, past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And hope in the scripture, in the New Testament, well, in the Old, but hope refers to a confident look to the future. This isn't, I wish glory. This is, I know I am going to see glory. Because I'm in Christ, and Christ is in me. <clears throat> Notice, he describes it as riches. The riches of the glory of this mystery that is Christ in you, and you will see him. In fact, Thessalonians taught us that when Christ is revealed, we'll be revealed with him in glory. Correct. That we, he'll be glorified when, when we see him. Amazing. Look at Colossians 2.1. So that's Christ in you. <clears throat> for I want you to know how great a struggle I have in your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face. It means he had, never went to Colossae. That their hearts may be encouraged having been knit together in love, attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. So if you see... If you have a New American Standard, it says that is Christ himself. Actually, that is and himself are not in the original. It just says the knowledge of God's mystery and then Christos, Christ. Christ is the mystery. Everything all, all embodied in him. But what's embodied in Christ is God to man because he's the mediator. He's God-man. Right? So it's all that God is in glory, love, righteousness, justice, everything to us. That is in Christ. You know him, you know that. <coughs> so, and then he says in verse 3, In whom, in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I love how he calls them treasures. You know what the word for treasure is in Greek is? Uh, it's where we get our word thesaurus from. It's this. It's T H E S something, but it's thesaurus. It's a treasure of words, and uh, this treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You know him. You know that. 
So then when Satan and this, this lawlessness that's going on under the surface dangles this carrot in front of you and says, here is wisdom and knowledge, you go, no, no, it's not. I know better than that. That is a bunch of lies. No, thank you. <coughs> All right, we'll get to that. Go to Revelation 120. We'll get to our other passage of communion here coming up in a minute. This is Christ as head of the church. Why is this a part of the mystery? I mean, Christ is God. He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. Of course, He's going to be the head. But what this is to you and to me is that He's our Lord. Right? Who you follow? Him. You have to know in your heart. All you got to do is know it. You know by faith that this one is my Lord. And this one is my Lord. He's the one I follow. When I don't follow Him, I'm in error. And when others say, follow me, I remember he said something about that, that the thief comes in to steal and destroy. Uh, They don't come in by the front door. They kind of hop over the wall. Yeah, no thanks. No thank you. I, I know that's a lie. I know you're a lie. So in Revelation 1.20, as for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand. This is Jesus talking to John. And the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Angels or messengers, that could be translated as. Could be the pastors of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now in Revelation 2 and 3... Jesus is going to speak to seven churches, starting with Ephesus. These are all churches that are in that same area of uh, western uh, Turkey now. But we would assume here, and I think very confidently, that the use of the word seven is just as God would use it in the rest of the scripture as a number of completion and a number of fulfillment. And when he says the seven churches, we would think here, and I would agree with this, that He's referring to the church as a whole. And he holds them in his hand. Jesus said, it's in my hand. No one can snatch it out of my hand. So he's my Lord forever. He's the Lord of my church. Whose church is Grace and Truth Ministries? He's not even on the first floor. He's up in heaven, right? It doesn't matter how low in the ground we are. (laughs) It, It doesn't matter where we are. We could be in a penthouse on the 50th floor. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who's here. It doesn't matter who the pastor is. What matters is we all recognize that the Lord of this church is the Lord of glory. It's not ours. It's his. But it's his marriage, isn't it? It's his stuff. The things I have. This brain with its intellect, that's his. This doctrine that's in my, hopefully in my soul, that's his. He's in me. This body, guess who it belongs to? It's his. Everything's his. So who gets the power? Who should have the power? Now comes this word. Mystery. Now here's the counterfeit mystery. Let me just do it here. Lawlessness. The Greek word here is anomia. That's not an onomatopoeia. Not that. Anomia. And this is 
Nomos here, that means law, with a negative A in front of it. So the Greeks, when they put an alpha in front of the word, it means the opposite. It's a really neat thing. We put un or something or non in front as a prefix. They use the alpha. So what this means is without law. Lawless. Frequently translated iniquity, it literally means without law. Now, we normally think of without law as last summer in Portland. Was that last summer or was it two years ago now? Two years? Thank God. The more distance, the better. All right, burning down stuff. What Anarchy. Now, that is a face of it, but that is not really the danger of it. I mean, a bunch of kids who live in their parents' basement who found the opportunity to go out at night and burn stuff, which I think kind of mostly what this is about, being led and prodded by others, of course. You know, did the whole world say, or every, every law-abiding citizen in Portland was like, wait a minute, you mean we can go downtown and burn those buildings and we won't go to jail? And the answer is, yeah, pretty much. Did they all head out and go burning? No, they didn't. Why? They're law-abiding people. Are they deceived by the mystery of lawlessness? The majority of them are. But they didn't go out and steal stuff and burn stuff and loot stuff. They didn't. See, that, that the anarchy and chaos of lawlessness is a face of lawlessness, but it's not the real problem of lawlessness. The problem of lawlessness is I don't see God as my authority. Who in the human race sees God as their authority? And I don't mean any God. I mean the God. Who in the human... This is, lawlessness is I don't see God's Word, God's Scripture as my authority. I don't see God's commandments as my authority. I don't see God's Spirit as my authority. I do, I have religion, I follow the law, I pay my taxes, I go to church, but I'm my own man. And you are the most deceived. Because your evil is seen as good, and the whole world agrees that it's good. And that is where it gets us. The kingdom of darkness gets the human race. In this age, in the age to come, it's going to be in the tribulation because now they're released and they get physical reign over the earth. They're not going to allow you to have your own religion, to have your own home, probably, to have your own anything. But until that time, when they can't do that now, why can't they do it? They want to. They're trying to. But they keep failing at it. Why is that? They're held down. They're held that's what our passage said. They're held down by God. There's going to come a time where God's going to no longer hold down. And they're not going to allow anybody to have anything. So be it. You know there's a great revival of Christians in the I'll call them Christians. Saints in the tribulation. There's a grand revival. 
Anyway, that's another. We'll, we'll talk about that another time. But this is about now in this age, how does the seething underground mystery of lawlessness capture people and rule them is to deceive them ultimately with the fact that this mystery is not a real thing and that I am not or they are not under the authority of Christ, of the Father, of the Spirit, of the Word, and they're not, we're not under that authority. Yeah, I'll follow laws. Absolutely. I'll even be a good husband. Put my kids in good schools. I'll be a good father. I'll, hold my, I'll do my job. I won't commit any crimes. But I will not acknowledge God as my, my Lord, my God. And ultimately deceived. And here's a John puts it. John puts it in a way that I may skip. Now let's go there real quick. First John three. I just read the first line. We're going to come back to this. First John three four. And this, you know, when you see this passage in this context brings it alive to us. It's one of those passages where that are confusing to us because it's it's here that John writes, "No one who is born of God practices sin." And so every one of us in this room, on face value, would say, "Well, we're not children of God, right?" Because all of us do sin. Um, it, and the word practices, in that New American Standard says practices, but it's the present tense of the verb to do. So when we say practice in English, we think of perpetual things, um, but it's really, that's a stretch for this word. Basically, John says, if you're born of God, you don't sin. And we're like, uh, John, for real? And... What he is getting at here is that what you are in your nature, what you are in Christ, is one who pursues righteousness. That's what you're made to be. Now, if you're practicing sin, you are out of line with who God has made you to be. So what does he say here? Now, that's kind of getting away from what we're looking at today. Verse 4 Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. There's our word, anomias, right here. Same word. Everyone who sins practices lawlessness. All right, so the, the lawlessness is tied to sin, and that becomes the issue. 1 John 3, 4. That becomes the issue with us. With all the human race is sin. Now, we who acknowledge the authority of the Lord, our sins are what? We're still sinners, but our sins are forgiven. And we confess our sins. We repent of our sins. At least we should. And if we don't, we know that we're in trouble. We pursue sin without confession and 
you can pursue sin with confession, by the way. I discovered that years ago. <laughs> I was a heck of a rebounder, never really rebounding from anything. But, uh, you know, this we have a Lord, and our Lord has forgiven our sins, so we pursue righteousness even though our past may be a path of, of wreckage. But yet now I know I'm forgiven. I have a clean slate. I pursue my Lord. If you keep pursuing sin when that is true, God calls you fool. Calls you a fool. He calls that folly. You know better, yet you do it anyway. That's that gone down that road so far I can't turn back now. That is a lie. This um, lawlessness. It's not just anarchy, but a concerted effort to overthrow divine government. Now, when I say divine government, I don't mean Washington. <laughs> I think that's obvious. There's nothing, nothing divine about Washington. Not even George. Oh, I, <laughs> if you walk into the, if you've ever taken the tour of the Capitol building, which I, I was privileged to when we did. Uh, uh, Joey, Joey McCabe's wedding last year, and we got a, we got to have a tour of uh, the Capitol building. And right, right there in the rotundra, right up in the middle of the ceiling, is George Washington looking through the clouds, and like angels are coming up to him. And they, they've got you. Look, George looks like God Almighty up there. And our guide told us that George absolutely was against that painting from the beginning. Uh, and you know, from what I've read of the man, I can see that probably that's true. But yet, I don't know why I say that. George is not God. Nobody there is God. When I talk about the, uh, sorry, when I talk about divine government here, I'm talking about God's rule over your life, your mind, your body, your family, your marriage, your money. What other aspects of life do we got? We did a bunch there. Your entertainment, your downtime, your work, whatever, your home. He has rules and laws for everything. And well, I don't follow them all the time, but I acknowledge, we all must acknowledge in our own hearts that God, you are ruler and Lord of every aspect of my life. Now, some have taken that to mean if you don't do that, you're not saved. That's called Lordship Salvation. That is a, a d- d- deceit. I stuttered that one out. A d- 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 deceit. They, <coughs> that no is not true. But we as believers have him as Lord of our life. God rule over all aspects of mankind. Lawlessness says no. Lawlessness says self-will. What's a famous thing out now? My body, my choice. Right? I want an abortion, I'll have an abortion. I'm a guy, I want to be a girl, I'll be a girl. Nobody gets to tell me. In actuality, that's, you, that's people saying to God, I will not even obey your authority over my gender. It's an ultimate revolt. Everything. It's a rejection of God's right authority over the creature and the law that God puts upon him. Now, finally, 
hindrances. Redeemed individuals that love the truth. Now, we, we read in, in Paul's passage here that God is the restrainer. God is the one who is, in whatever way he is, we'll talk about it this week a little bit more, but God is holding down the mystery of lawlessness until he reveals it. Or, or not reveals it, but lets it be revealed. When God relieves that um, restraint, has nothing to do with you or me. There's a, there's a, a, a post-millennialism doctrine out there that says once the church gets the world you know, evangelized and the gospel does its work all throughout the world, then Christ is going to come back. In other words, it's up to us. And in no way is that true. The scripture doesn't bear that out. That's a false doctrine. Nothing that you do is going to either shorten or lengthen the age of the church. God has this since eternity past. He's not waiting on us to do anything. Doesn't that sound stupid? But so there's an aspect to us that can say, well, you know, it's kind of like prayer, right? Why pray when God's just going to do all this stuff anyway? Why should we love the truth and live the truth and be a light to the world if God's going to just do all of this program anyway? Why bother? Right? Tribulation's coming when it does. The rapture's coming when it does. This is all in the program of God. This lawless is going to be revealed when God wants him to. And it's halfway through the tribulation, by the way. And uh, so here's the thing. You get to be a part in action, in life, in actual living. You get to be a part of that which hinders the kingdom of darkness. God doesn't need you to do it, but he's saying, do you want to play on my team? You know, like God's got the winning team and he's like calling you off the bench. He's like, I don't want you to sit on the bench. I want you to get in the game. Do you want to take the winning shot? All right, maybe it's not the winning shot. Jesus takes the winning shot. But you know what I mean. I like, do you want to be a part of this? And God is saying to us, by your love of the truth, by your love of the Scripture, the great hindrances to the kingdom of darkness is the actual existence of Scripture translated beautifully into languages, all, almost all languages. It's almost translated into all languages at this point. The Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit has a common uh, grace ministry to the world uh, <clears throat> and will continue in the tribulation, by the way, because there's going to be a ton of saved people in the tribulation. Marriage, that's what we wouldn't normally think of, but the word mystery is linked to it. This is a mystery. Marriage is a mystery. The relationship between Christ and the church manifested in the husband and the wife in the Christian home. And nationalism. Which you see, that's a big one. That's a big one. The fact that, you know, the nations resist giving in to a one world government. People want autonomy. They want sovereignty. And whether they're godly or not, whether they're godly or not, they hinder the coming of what's to come. Now for us, as long as the true mystery breathes in you, 
It is not destroyed. Uh, this is kind of like the, 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 I don't know, the, you carry the truth of the rebel cause in your lungs, in your heart. Right? If you die, the message dies with you. You're the last one that has it. There's a couple of stories that are based upon that that I, I think are wonderful. Uh, you know, there's, there's that one left who has the truth within them. As long as the truth is here on this, in this world, right, you're a part of that which can't be destroyed. While you carry what is the true mystery in your heart, it can't be destroyed. And as long as it shines through you, and that would refer to your maturity, it will not be silent. And you and I get to be a part of that. So as Paul stated, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. And since it is, <clears throat> its desire is to get a hold of your mind, to freak you out, to make you stressed, worried, and fearful. And as long as you carry the truth within you, and as long as you're willing by maturity to let that light shine to others, then the truth lives, what restrains the enemy of God lives in you and shines forth from you. And therefore, it won't be, if, you're, if you were the last person to speak it, the truth is not silent. But there are many of us who do. And we get to be a part of that. Um, so that's kind of like a taste of where we're going to go this week. There's, we'll look at more detail of it. And uh, yeah, so, but for time, we need to wrap up here. So let's uh, have our elements passed out. We'll celebrate our Lord's Supper. And uh, if you want to look at the passage with me, we're going to go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, 3.16. 1 Timothy 
that the Lord, our Lord, the Son of God, came into the world to break the power of death and to break the power of the devil. And he did it. It cost him his very life. To which he was resurrected on the third day and now sits at the right hand of glory. And he offers us (coughs) not just... um, I say just, but he doesn't just offer us eternity in heaven, you know, like uh, forever in a perfect environment, which is offered. It's ours. But he offers us his life, and that life is what we're after here. That's what we're looking at and what we're trying to impress upon ourselves that we can live that life as Christ lived it, as he has guided us to do so. As perfectly as him, no. But that's what we're after. And by his spirit and his word, we're able to be loving, gracious, kind, patient, good, uh, righteous. Did I say that one already? And, And forgiving. And with power and control not ruled by sin, but able to rule and conquer ourselves through Him. All of this is offered to us. And that's what we call godliness. Godliness is a word that means to be um, devoted. It means well devoted. Look at 1 Timothy 3.16. Paul writes, By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He says it's great. A mystery of godliness. And here it is revealed. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Right? The mystery of godliness is the Son of Man, Son of God has become man, become flesh, who is sinless, that's vindicated by the Spirit, means the absolutely qualified Savior as without sin and willing to sacrifice Himself, beheld by angels, that is, resurrection, and proclaimed among the nations, and that's the gospel, believed upon in the world, and then taken up in glory, His ascension. The, the way of godliness is embodied in Him. And so when I want to see in myself, how do I achieve that? Don't look inward. Look to Him. Unless when you look inward, you see Him. That would be great. (laughs) But if I'm struggling to be godly, don't analyze self. Don't become your own psychologist. Go to Him. Look at Him. Look at Revealed in the flesh means that God became a man. There's humility, right? That's the, the bread. I became flesh. Vindicated in the spirit means the cup. He's qualified to die for the sins of the whole world. And that's what he did. This cup, And then he said, this cup is for you. For the forgiveness of the sins of the world. And taken up in glory, he said, I will not drink this of the vine again until I drink it with you in heaven. Imagine saying such a thing to us. In other words, Jesus said, I'd love to have another glass of wine, but I will wait for you. 
And he is. And when I, therefore, when I look to him, which is what we do at this supper, I'm actually seeing the key to a godly life. And look, we talked about it earlier. If you have a godly life, you're going to have peace in your heart. If you've got a kind of godly life and a kind of sinful life, you're going to be at conflict and you're not going to find peace. You're not going to have it. It will elude you. Not the kind of peace that Christ has offered us. That can only be had when we commit to him fully. And here's the the key to commitment. Is looking to him. He committed himself to us. And in that commitment, as Paul writes, For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In remembrance of our Lord. Let's eat the bread. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this, is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And may he come quickly. In honor of our Lord, let's drink the cup. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, our scripture ends, your scripture ends, with the phrase, Lord, come quickly. We long for him to come. When he does, this age will be over. It will be over for us. But until that time, Father, we look to our King, our Lord, our Savior, and, through, and we are motivated by Him. We long for Him. We can see Him and walk with Him now. We don't have to wait till He comes. It'll certainly be more tangible when He comes. But until that time, show us, Father, how to be godly and walk with Him. Which things are simultaneous to us. To see Him, know Him, walk with Him, love Him. And then we will be like Him. Thank you, Father, so much for your salvation and his life. In Christ's name, amen. All right, we'll take our offering and uh, get you out of here. I always have plans to end this earlier than I do. Oh, well, we're still working on it. (laughs) Something. I can tell you, the more work I do, um, the bigger the Bible's getting. I thought it was smaller. It's not. It's enormous. Crazy enormous. So we'll never be out of uh, subject matter. But let's uh, let's pray for our offering, and uh, thank you so much for our gathering this morning. Father in heaven, thank you for the uh, ability to offer the the also the uh, opportunity. And we ask, Father, that you bless these finances that you give to us through your servants for the communication of your word. And we ask in Christ's name, amen.
Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to be here together today, uh, for your word, for your spirit, for our Lord. We thank, we uh, dedicate the closing moments of our service to anyone listening who's not believed in Christ as their Savior. If you're listening, I beg you, please consider the Lord Jesus Christ. You probably have already, but please consider him again. He's the only name under heaven by which you can be saved. And only through him is salvation because only in him is the payment for sin accomplished. Through him and him alone have the sins of the world been judged. And so if you believe upon him, you will accept the gift of his work on your behalf. His work means that he died for you. No other savior in the world could, could uh, claim that. Therefore, there is no other Savior in the world. So believe upon Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Thank you, Father, for our time. Thank you for all you do. In Christ's name, amen.